0: Welcome to C3 Wellington and Hutt City. Need something fresh, real and powerful in your life? Connect with us on social media, get podcast notifications, updates on events, collective groups and a whole lot more. We're so glad you're joining us for a powerful and thought-provoking message from one of our pastors. We would love to hear how God has touched you in your life. Get in touch through our website, c3churchwellington.nz. So, sit back and enjoy this message. Let's recap last week week one of Symbol Church. And this was our main Scripture and our big idea. Our main Scripture was this. It's in 1 Corinthians 1, 9 and 10, and it's the Apostle Paul. He says these words, and I pray this. He starts off in verse 9. He says some things about loving one another. And then he goes on to say this, that you can determine what really matters. That you can determine what really matters. And here's the big idea. Why does the Church exist? And what is her purpose? Pastor Rick Warren from Saddleback Church, he authored The Purpose Driven Life, said that a church without purpose and mission eventually becomes a museum piece of yesterday's traditions. Nothing discourages a church more than not knowing why it exists. Proverbs twenty-nine eighteen says, without prophetic vision, the people will cast off restraint. Some versions say they will perish. Restraint is this ability to put yourself under some control, controls so that you can hit something. It's, it's about focusing your life. Restraint is about bringing things into focus. Yeah? Without any vision, there's no clear direction. Without vision, there's no roadmap to the future. And people cast off their restraint. I talked about if you wanted to run a marathon, you would sign up for it. It would cost you something. You would then get into a training regime and you would start committing to training and then you would buy some gear. You would buy better shoes. You'd buy better socks because t- I'm telling you right now, socks are they're more important than shoes. If you Buy good socks. I got blisters, I got, I got essex and I got blisters. Get some decent socks, people, honestly. <laughs> But then you invest in gear. And if you're like me, you track your progress and you buy a $600 watch to track your progress because that's what I did, because that's what you need to do. You need the $600 watch. Am I preaching to anybody right now? Come on, there's nothing like buying some new gear and spending some money ridiculous, but it, it just helps. It's motivating. But this is the point. You, you, you have a, a clear vision in mind. The vision might be to cross the finish line or to get a personal best time. But when your friend says, hey, do you want to go out on Friday night? You're thinking, hang on a second. I've got a 30K training run in the morning maybe going out in the town till 2am isn't a good idea. And so you're your life, don't you? Because you've got a greater vision, a greater purpose. Come on, make sure that you don't, don't uh, sacrifice being in the house of God on Sunday for something on Saturday night. Am I preaching to anyone this morning? Make sure that your priority is Jesus. What He wants to build, build it with Him. Commit to the church, yeah? But come on, a clear purpose not only defines what we do, it defines what we don't do constancy to purpose is the secret of success constancy to purpose is the secret to success where there's prophetic vision people focus on what really matters and where there's vision there is purpose a common problem with churches is that we major on the minors we spend a lot of time on things that are important but not the most important therefore the 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 main thing is to keep the main thing the come on So what is the main thing we asked last week? Well, Jesus gave some clear commands, three specifically, the great commandment, which is love your Lord, your God, and love your neighbour. They try to to bait him in, they try to trick him. There were 633 laws in the Old Testament, not just the 10 10 on stone that Moses did, there were 633 of these things. And they try to say, which is the most important one? Trying to trick him. He says, look this, love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. Put God first. And the second is just as important. Don't just put God first, love that person beside you. Yeah. Everything is summed up on those two things. Then he said in John 13, he said, I'll give you a new commandment. So here we go, Jesus is commanding again. He said to, the, he said to the, this guy, love the Lord your God, love your neighbour, but then he says to his disciples, I've got a new commandment for you. Love one another. Love, love your your brothers and your sisters in Christ. Love your church family. You've got to put effort into loving. And you know the example he gave them? was well, he was washing their feet. Jesus, Lord, Rabbi, Teacher, Messiah, in the dirt, in his undies, washing feet. Bex and I talked about this. It's an interesting thing. Like, Bex won't mind. In fact, she'd love it if I gave her a foot massage. She's into who? Any, anyone's massage? Uh it's a funny thing, right? You need someone that likes to give it and someone that likes to receive it for it to kind of work. And I just, you know, like, I've got to really discipline myself to be a massager. And Bex just tries to encourage me. You're so good at it. And it's like, yeah, I'm a words guy. It's kind of working, but kind of not kind of getting me over the hump. Yeah, but you know, foot massage. massaging, massaging feet's one thing, but washing feet. Bex, you i not feel uncomfortable if you even washed my feet and you're my husband. Feet are ugly. No one likes to, see, like, right, no one wants to see, people don't like showing their feet. Isn't that interesting? Yes. Genuinely, I mean, generally, people don't like showing their feet. If I got you up here to take off shoes and sh- just to show people your feet, you'd probably feel uncomfortable. Let alone if I got out a bucket of water and started washing your feet, you'd feel extremely uncomfortable. There's a closeness and an awkwardness and a vulnerability in the relationship that God's called us into. Yeah. I'll, I'll carry on. The Great Commission was the last commandment that Jesus gave right before he jettisoned to heaven. That was an unusual thing. He starts like lifting off the ground and floating to heaven, and it says that some worshipped and some doubted. I mean, he's ascending. He's floating to heaven. The same guy that was killed on a cross and dead in the ground for three days standing before them, and it says that some doubted. Let me tell you, miracles—miracles—is not necessarily the answer to salvation. You can see Jesus and completely be hard-hearted. One of Jesus' disciples betrayed Him. Doesn't matter how good of a leader, how good of a, come on. But the Great Commission, He said this before He floated off, He said this, go and make disciples. And He didn't just finish it like that. He didn't just say, go and ask people to raise their hands in church and then count how many people raise their hands and then publicize how many people you got to raise your hands because that's really awesome. Good on you. You got this many people raising your hands. No, He's not about a hand raising. He's about a life transformed. And so He says, teach them. Go and make disciples and teach them. And that's really important. Discipleship is not just a one-time decision. It's a lifelong journey that we're all to do together. Yeah. All right. So we've got three commandments. One of them had two. Love God, love your neighbour. That's one commandment, but in two parts. The second one was love one another. The third one was go and make disciples and teach them. We can break these three purposes, sorry, these three commandments into five purposes. You with me? Number one, evangelism. Evangelism. Go and make disciples. Love your neighbour. Evangelism. Number two, worship. Love God with all your heart mind and soul. That worship isn't just singing songs, that worship is our heart's response to the goodness of God. It overflows in worship. Worship is giving. You just worship through your giving. Worship is, 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 is it says in Romans 12, present your everyday walking around life as worship. Yeah. So worship, number three, fellowship, love one another. And he did this by Eating together. The Last Supper is what it's called. This is where we see this commandment. They're eating together. He jumps down, he washes their feet and he says, Right, right, fellas, a new commandment I give you. I've just demonstrated it let me tell you it in words. But eating together, fellowship, spending one another's life. The, The fourth is service. And that's the foot washing, that we're to serve one another. That what God's placed on your life is critical for someone else's life there is Christian life as others focused first Jesus then people but what's on your life is to bless someone else that we're called not to be self-centered and be self absorbed but to give our lives away and spend our lives for the glory of Jesus by loving other people yeah and fifth is discipleship teach them go and make disciples and teach them here's the thing though about this list evangelism worship Fellowship, service, discipleship. The thing about this list is that every church that's ever been has wanted and has had the same list. It encapsulates every church everywhere, doesn't it? Every purpose can have a subset of programmes and options and categories and you can get complex so quickly because we all have a bent. God's wired you a certain way. You know, my, my, most, if you've been hanging around this church, you kind of get my bent. Yeah. yeah. That's why God gave to the church apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and pastors. Because they're all necessary. Yeah. They're all necessary. And this is a necessity. And I think this is maybe controversial, maybe not. But here's the necessity. That you ought to re- replicate yourself in the hearts of the people. It says that you wanna, you wanna, you're there to help um, equip the saints for ministry. So if you've got a pastoral gift, you need to imprint the pastoral gift on the church. If you've got an evangelistic gift, you need to imprint the evangelistic gift on the church. Because here's these, this is what I want to say, and, and it's important that I listen to this myself, that all of these are needed and they're all required in all of our lives. Jesus didn't say, you know what, you're, what, you're not evangelistic? Oh, to go and make disciples part's not for you. You, you, know, you don't have to make disciples, you know, because you're not an evangelist. No, no, you might not have that Billy Graham, you might not have that um, uh, Reinhard Bonnke, crazy evangelistic gift on your life, but you are still called to go and make disciples. And I'm also called to pastor, care and love people. <laughs> I can't go, I'm an apostolic you know, evangelist. I don't know. I'm called to love one another and love my neighbour. Do you know what I mean? Like, so we all are in the same boat. So the question I had was this, how do we keep it simple? And I know this is, feels like you're drinking from a fire hydrant this morning, but I really want us to be on the same page when we get to part two. The first thing about how to keep it simple, this is that it's not about programs, it's about people. It's not just about what we do, it's why we do it, it's who we do it for, yeah? People are our focus, helping them take the next step. Moving people is our goal. Moving them where, we asked, and here's the goal. The goal is for, every person to, for every person is to move them through the stages of spiritual maturity, Great. spiritual growth. That is the key. A healthy church moves people into deeper levels of spiritual maturity. And my words would be a healthy church move people into a deeper relationship with Jesus. Move people into a deeper relationship with Jesus. And that is the focus of C3 Church Wellington. The reason it's the focus is because it's Jesus' focus, and we do this by encountering Jesus. So Jesus is preeminent. Jesus is our focus. As we said in the very last message of yes, a hearty yes, Jesus is our message, but people are our mission. Part two. The Force Awakens. No, okay. I don't even know if that's part two. Anyway, uh, evangelism. you ready? Evangelism. Number one, evangelism. Outreach. Because you can those those three purposes we said, all the three commandments, you can say it's outreach, inreach, and upreach, or upreach, inreach, and outreach. But there's there's a there's a, a direction in Jesus' commands. This is outreach. He says, Go and make disciples and love your neighbor. Evangelism is the major work of the church. An evangelist literally translates to a messenger of good news, a messenger of of good news 2nd Corinthians 5 17 to 20 says this if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation or she is a new creation the old has passed away behold the new has come all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation restoration That is, in Christ, God God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, I love those therefores. We are ambassadors of Christ or for Christ. God's making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. I love this. In Christ we are made new. I love the good news of the Gospel of Jesus. That no matter where you find yourself in life, no matter matter where you come into this this situation, no matter where you came into this church this morning, into this room here in Walter Nash, Christ is wanting to make all things new. Christ has got mercy for you. He's got love for you. He's got a new start for you. He's about newness. He's not about the past. He's about the future. And He's paid for the past. In Christ we're made new. In Christ we're reconciled back to God. Through Jesus we come back into the creation of what we're designed for. Back into relationship with God. Back to the garden where it was once broken by sin but now restored. We can come back into relationship with our Heavenly Father through Jesus. What an incredible gift that is. And in Christ, we're to reconcile, which is to restore to friendship or harmony. To restore to friendship or harmony. We're called to restore people back into a relationship with God through Jesus. We are ambassadors. An ambassador is this, an authorized messenger, which I thought that's interesting because an evangelist is a messenger of the good news. An ambassador is an authorized messenger. You have a message on your life. I have a message on my life. An ambassador is a diplomatic agent of the highest rank sent to a foreign government as the resident representative of his or her own government. So here's the question or the statement when the question. You are the resident representative of Jesus sent as a messenger of good news to your work, your school, your university, your sports team, your club, your friends, your family, your neighbourhood. You represent Jesus. What a powerful truth that is. (laughs) I love the scripture in 1 Peter 2 verse 9 and it's from the Message Translation and I love the language. And uh, the author Eugene Peterson of the Message Translation passed away last week. And uh, what an incredible man that took the good news of the Word of God and made it accessible for so many people through poetic language and You know, I know that you know. For some people, it's they they get challenged theologically by it, and that you know. Look, I just this helped so many people, you know, and uh, you know. I just want to honour Eugene for the work that he's done for the kingdom of God and how many lives he's touched and by his obedience. Uh, Amazing man. First Peter 2:9 from the message, but you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do His work and speak out for Him, to tell others of the night and day difference He made for you, from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. Let's not lose focus of the night and day difference Jesus made in our lives. And I wanna challenge you, here's some homework, midstream homework for you. Can you take some time this week, get away to a quiet place, grab a journal, and just write down what Jesus has done for you. Just focus in on it and worship Him and allow that to start to kindle in you, start to build a fire in you. Because what He's done for you, He wants to do for others through you, yeah? We're not sent to argue and arm wrestle theology. We are motivated by love. We are sent to share our story. What Jesus has done for you, people need to hear. What is done for you? It's not minimal. You don't have to be the drug dealer locked in the boot of a car, saved by grace with a gun to your head to have a story that reflects and represents the glory and goodness of Jesus Christ. You don't need that story, nor should you want that story. Thank you, Jesus, that some have that story. Shout out to Trent memory what a powerful man of God. But your story is as powerful and drips with the goodness of God. Yeah. It might just be that you were sceptical and didn't understand this thing called church and it took you months or maybe years to reconcile it, but you made the journey and you realised and one day you stepped across the line of faith and said, I don't have it all figured out, to, but, I, but I believe. And all of a sudden, as it says in Hebrews, we're, we don't have it all together, but yet we still believe. Faith, make, faith fills in the blanks for me. I believe, I believe, and I have a confidence and an assurance in that. Your story is your message. Your experience cannot be discounted. Let me tell you something. People can discount your beliefs. They can discount your theology. They can discount the theory that you believe, but they cannot discount your experience. They cannot take from you the the story of the nine day difference that Jesus has made in your life. Now, I I shared this, me and Maura had a bit of a chat on Facebook and and we did some research and I loved it. And anyone that's got questions, let's go. I love it. And there was this person that said about experiencing Jesus and he said that, you know what? I experienced the movement of the Holy Spirit through. Supernatural means was actually the the, the relevant situation. And he said this, you might not agree with me that my wife's chocolate cake is an amazing chocolate cake, but you might not have also tasted it. Well, I've tasted it. And so it's very hard for you to tell me that it doesn't taste good because I've experienced it from time to time. Come on, if you've experienced the love of Jesus, no one can discredit or discount that story. It's your truth. It's your reality. And Jesus moves on those stories. So let's look at Jesus' example. Love you, Mina. Let's look at Jesus' example. And we're gonna be in Mark 5, 1 to verse 20. I'm not gonna read it all. I'm gonna summarise for you. But before we get to Mark 5, let's get the backstory. Mark 5 is about Jesus heading across the Sea of Galilee with His disciples, and He was on mission. He was on mission. But if we go back to Mark 4, there's an interesting situation going on. Jesus has gathered a massive crowd and is preaching to this massive crowd. And then all of a sudden, He says, we're leaving this crowd of people. We're going over the other side. And the disciples are like, okay, ready the boat. Jump in the boat. They go and they start heading to the other side. On the way, a storm breaks out. It says that waves start filling the boat. The disciples are freaking out. I think they're going to drown, they're going to die. Here's the thing, though Jesus said, We're going to the other side. Someone here needs to know that no matter what storm you face, when Jesus says you're going to go to the other side, He's going to get you to the other side. Yeah. Jesus is not going to get you drowning in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, He's going to get you to the other side. But for me, it's interesting here the reason He went to the other side was one man, He left the crowd for one man. <laughs> He was on a specific mission and was immediately met with opposition. His great priority to leave the crowd. What was so important on the other side? Why such intense opposition? For one man. Here's the story. They leave the crowd, they get to the other side and Jesus comes across this man who was, who was full of demons. He was demon possessed. He was so badly stricken and tormented by evil spirits that he couldn't even live in the town with the people. He had to live out in the caves. They tried to shackle him and chain him because he was dangerous to the town and dangerous to himself, but the shackles couldn't hold him. He would cut himself and hurt himself under the influence of his demonic spirits. And Jesus left the crowd to come for this one man. And through the process of Mark 5, we see Jesus interacting with these legions. You know what this legion of demons did? They ran and they bowed before Jesus and said, what are you here to do to torment us and Jesus, before our time? Because they know their time is up. <laughs> and Jesus cast them out into a, a massive uh, group of pigs, about 2,000 pigs. He sent the demons into the pigs, set this man free. The pigs run off the cliff and die. It's a crazy deal. And, uh, and then all of the people come out because they hear about these pigs and the situation and this man, this demoniac man, and they see him sitting, clothed and in his right mind and talking with Jesus. Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. for We just sung about it, that He wants to restore the broken. Yeah. Great are You, Lord. Yeah. Wow. And what do you think the response of the people of the town of Decapolis would be? These 10 towns, these, these Gentiles and cities, what do you think the response would be? It says that they were greatly afraid, that they were fearful. The account in Luke says they were seized with great fear and they begged Jesus to leave their region. So Jesus gets back in the boat and goes back. So he came for one man. He left the crowd for one man luke fifteen four Jesus said, "What man of you having a hundred sheep if he has lost one of them does not leave the ninety nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he found it Jesus is the one that goes after the one he goes after the one but Jesus knows the plans he has for you he knows the plans he has for me and he knows the plans he had for that man because as they are The people are saying, please leave us. And Jesus goes, yep, okay, I'm out of here. The guy's like, please take me with you. I want to follow you. I want to be with you. Can I be one of your disciples? Can I come with you on this journey? And Jesus says, no, I've got another mission for you. Listen Listen to this. Jesus said to him, this is Mark 5, 19 and 20. Jesus said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Go and tell your story. Go and tell your story. Hmm. Verse 20, he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis how much Jesus has done for him and everyone marvelled. Hmm. This is interesting because you can go two more chapters into Mark 7 And I'm just going to summarise it because there's too much to put up here for you guys. But in Mark 7, Jesus returns two chapters later. Gosh knows how much time. But Jesus returns to the area of Decapolis. He returns to this area where they'd want nothing to do with Him. Leave us, please, Jesus. We don't want anything to do with You. And He returns and they greet Him with joy and they start bringing out people for Him to heal. They bring out a deaf man and He licks his fingers and sticks him in his ear and heals him. It says he spat in the guy's mouth because he was deaf and mute and he started speaking. Jesus is risky, man, like (laughs) spitting on things and whatnot. Come on. And this flows into Mark 8 in the same area. Have you heard of the feeding of the 5,000? Have you heard of the feeding of the 4,000? Guess what happens? In the very next chapter, on the Sea of Galilee, in this area of Tyrene and Siberia, or whatever it's called, i will probably, probably butchered that. But in this area of the, of the cities, of the, of the 10 Decapolis cities, a great crowd arose. 4,000 men, not counting women and children, came out to hear the message of Jesus. All of a sudden, the people that said, we don't want anything to do with you, we're flocking to Jesus. All of a sudden, another massive crowd gathers. Listen to this. This is Matthew's account of the same story. Matthew 15, 29 to 30. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee and He went up on the mountain and sat down there and a great crowd came to Him. (laughs) <laughs> Bring with Him the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute. Come on, those that with anxiety, those with depression, those with hate in their hearts and self-hate and self-harm, those that have got suicidal thoughts, those that God wants to save. You know, anyone, come on, that's what Jesus is wanting to do through you. If He can do it through one man, if we can turn the city upside down. Now there's no account that this is, the, uh, that it's all on the account of this man But I like to think that he had a massive part to play in this. That he flipped the script on a city. Jesus came for one man and through one man, Jesus reached the city. Wow. Fear had turned into faith. Jesus has gone from rejected to accepted. A revival broke out in the region. Something had radically changed because Jesus went after the One. The One told His friends, how much Jesus had done for him. The one became a messenger of good news, an evangelist, an ambassador, and the one changed the city. This is the power of evangelism. And this is the priority of evangelism. Proverbs 29, I hope, says that without prophetic vision, the people cast over restraint. Prophetic vision. Before we moved down here, I received a vision from the Lord. And it was me. I was going to and from a cave. I was living in a cave, leaving the cave, going about my day and returning to the cave. And one day on my return to the cave, Jesus stops me and says, hey, do you want to come and hang out at my house? I'm like, sounds great. Yeah, His house wasn't even far from my cave. Don't know how I missed it. There it is. So I go to Jesus' house and he goes, you look pretty tired. Why don't you find a room, make yourself at home, get a good night's sleep. So I find a bedroom. Jesus got their awesome silly posturpedic beds, man, because it was comfortable. I had a great night's sleep, just complete peace. God wants you to lay down in peace. And the next morning I get up and Jesus is in the kitchen cooking breakfast. He goes, are you are hungry? And I'm like, of course. Yep, yeah, absolutely. He's cooking me bacon and eggs, which is awesome because he's a Jew and you don't eat bacon. But he knows that's my... Heart's desire, so he's looking after me. Thank you, Jesus, for bacon. <laughs> don't you love the details of Jesus, man? Yeah. He cares. And he's cooking me and he's, you know, cooking and I'm sitting at like a, a server-y sort of thing and looking at his back and he's like yawning away and he puts the food in front of me and goes, hey, you know that, uh, that cave? I'm like, yeah. He goes, you know, you don't have to live there anymore. And I'm like, I don't. He goes, no, you can live with me. I'm like, can I? He's like, yeah. Do you, want to, do you want to? I'm like, yeah. Well, this place is epic compared to the cave. It's the Sheraton. It's the, it's the Hyatt. It's the, this is fancy. This is amazing. And so he's sweet. Done. You live with me. I'm like, cool. And then he looks at me with a glint in his eye and he says, You know that cave? I'm like, yeah. He goes, Why don't we blow it up? <laughs> blow it up. He goes, Yeah, I've got some dynamite because <laughs> he's Jesus. He's got everything. <laughs> I've got some dynamite. Why don't we go and blow it up? So I'm like, yeah, cool. So after breakfast, we take the dynamite. We, we walk into the cave. We start lining the cave with dynamite. And there's a moment where I start feeling a little bit anxious, a little bit apprehensive because I don't want to live in this cave. But it's kind of all I've known. And the end of this cave is no going back. I don't want to be there, but I, don't, I'm not, I, can't, I can't imagine a reality without it. Jesus no fear, obviously senses my apprehension. He comes and puts his arms on me, over me and says, hey, it's going to be all right. Let's do this. So we run the detonator thing out, the thing, and it's one of those, you know, the fuse, and it's one of those detonator boxes, old school. And he goes, you do it. I get to blow up my own cave. This is crazy. So we count down, three, two, one. Boom and the cave just disintegrates it like rocks it all falls in into rubble and it's gone and we go back to his house and that was the end of the vision and then sometime shortly after that I receive a second vision and this was the second vision so I'm hanging out with Jesus in his house sorry on his porch on the veranda and I'm looking at what used to be my cave and I'm just so full of thankfulness and gratitude that I don't live there anymore I'm overwhelmed that my new reality is so much vastly superior. Not just about the house, but just being with Jesus. Can't believe it. And I'm looking at my cave, which now is rubble, and no one else would know. It's got grass growing up on it now, and it's, I know what it used to be, but no one else would know. And as I'm looking at that cave, I lift my eyes to the horizon and I see cave after cave after cave after cave and people walking like zombies backwards and forwards to these caves and I'm just awestruck by what I see. It's like overwhelming. And as I'm looking out to this horizon of caves, Jesus comes out onto the veranda with a big set of bolt cutters on his shoulders and says, come on, let's go. And I'm like, yeah, let's go. So Jesus starts storming the, cha- the caves because some people are chaining their caves. Other people aren't chained, but they're still walking and living in caves. And Jesus is chopping chains and rescuing people. And I'm just stopping people in the tracks. You don't have to live in the cave. Stop. You can come and live with me in Jesus. Do you want to come and live with me in Jesus? It's awesome. Come to the house. You don't have to live in the cave anymore. And so we line people up. And we start to get this line and it feels like it's almost like black and white, like I'm watching Schindler's List. Like the people have got like no hope, their their faces are gaunt. they look dirty and and they're they're bewildered, but they definitely don't want to be in this reality anymore. So they're listening, they're taking, yeah, come on. So we line people up and we take them back to the house. And it's sort of like, it's like a fast forward motion happens and all of a sudden this house that was just me and Jesus is now full of people. And the atmosphere is incredible. There's so much joy, so much community. You've got people over here just talking over a coffee, people over here playing guitar and singing, people outside playing volleyball. It's just this epic thing. There's just so much life and vibrance and vitality. And I see this girl walk past me and I remember her from the lineup. and she's like radiating and just smiling. I can't believe it's the same person. I'm just like, man, Jesus, You're awesome. And as I'm watching him walk past, I see Jesus out of the other side of my corner of my eye going out the door with bolt cutters again. I'm going, if, I'm like, man, if you're going, I'm coming with you again. I'm not, not going with you. I'm coming with you again. And so I go out, and he's just standing on the deck, with, surveying the horizon. And I say, Jesus, if you're coming, if you're going, I'm coming with you. And as I said that, I notice this presence. I look behind me, and this this like massive crew. The whole veranda is full of people saying, "We're coming too." We're coming to, we're no longer just men. Now we're an army of chain breakers, an army of cave destroyers. Now we're an army of people sent to rescue God. This is the mandate of our church. We're called to rescue the lost. We're called to call people from brokenness and bondage into freedom. We're called to take people from the cave to the house. There's a prophetic vision over our church. Is it all we do? No. But it's so important. You can't disciple someone that hasn't stepped into a relationship with Jesus. There's a beginning to the relationship. And we don't want this priority to slip. We wanna keep the main thing the main thing. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. So how to be continued?